Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church Podcast. The current sermon series is entitled Radiant Church, Verse by Verse through Titus. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. Business Insider Magazine recently published an intriguing article on their website titled 12 Weird Jobs You'll Be Surprised to Know Exist. The article suggests that if you think your job is bad, then you should consider trying one of these unique career opportunities. For those of you interested in a career change, um, here's a few that made the list. I don't have time to list them all, but I'll share three. Uh, uh, One of them that caught my eye that I found very interesting was there's a company called Bridesmaids for Hire. So if you want to be a stand-in bridesmaid for that biggest day that uh, someone has in their life, you can earn up to $2,000 per wedding. Yeah, some of you are interested. Uh, And uh, complete a wedding party and be the personal assistant for a bride on her special day. Now, if that doesn't suit your fancy, perhaps this will. Uh, maybe your gifting is a little different, and you've, you've, you've got a little more mercy gifting. So um, there's a company in Great Britain called Rent a Mourner that specializes in providing punctual and professional mourners for funerals. And you can earn about $35 an hour doing that. Now, if weddings and funerals aren't your gig, uh, perhaps technology is. Well, here's, here's something you can consider. Finally, there are some people that just have to get a new iPhone on the day it launches, or they have to be at every Black Friday sale, but they're just so busy they can't be there themselves. Well, you can help them out in this interesting career opportunity and solve their quandary. Um, you can be hired as a professional line standard. You could earn up to $1,000 a week standing in line and making purchases for your clients. This is, this is legit as far as I can tell. It was, it was on the internet. <laughs> Seriously, I did my best to research and corroborate this from a few different websites. Um, I didn't just go to a tabloid website. Uh, but seriously, there are days when you may feel like you have the worst job in the world. But the Lord wants Christ followers to be the best employees in the universe. We're going to continue our study today in the book of Titus, this series called Radiant Church. We're looking at what makes a church attractive uh, to an outside world. The title of this message is Making Your Witness Work. I want to invite you to open up your copy of God's Word with me to Titus chapter 2. And if you uh, need a Bible, if you forgot yours, you can borrow one of ours. Just raise your hand and we'll loan one to you. We've got some Vanguard Bibles we can get to you. Don't worry, we don't want you to be shy about that. Titus chapter 2. Last week, we looked at how the Apostle Paul explained the importance of mentoring in the local church. He urged the older, more mature believers to invest in future generations so that the baton of the gospel can be passed on. Today, uh, the apostle has counsel for believers that earn a living out in the marketplace, in the community. Uh, Here's the big idea that I hope and pray you'll take away from today's passage that we're going to be looking at, and this is uh, the sermon in one sentence, and it would be, the way you work determines the credibility of the gospel. The way you work determines the credibility of the gospel. In a real general sense, God's word teaches that the Lord has given us work so we can spread the gospel in the community, earn resources to support the church, and provide for our families. Just in a real general sense, a little overview, and there's several scriptures that would support that. But in chapter 2, we're going to be looking at verses 9 and 10, uh, Paul lists three critical issues that will either help or hurt your gospel witness at work. If you apply these with the Lord's help, you could see him use you in supernatural ways at your place of employment. If you ignore these principles, you could not only lose your job, but even worse, 
you could become someone's excuse not to receive Christ. And so with that, let's look at verses 9 and 10 in chapter 2. Paul says, Slaves are to be submissive to their own masters in everything. They are to be well-pleasing, not argumentative, not pilfering, but showing all good faith, so that in everything they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. Here's uh, the first critical issue that is on your outline. Number one on your outline is this, and that's your submission to authority. Your submission to authority. In verse 9, Paul says, slaves. Uh, A more modern translation of this would be employees. Uh, I say this for a few reasons. Um, First, we need to understand that Paul was writing Titus in the mid-first century, somewhere around 62 to 64 A.D., Uh, This was hundreds of years before the Industrial Revolution. And so in the Mediterranean region, he's writing to Titus on the island of Crete, as we've talked about earlier in this series. But in the Mediterranean region, the first century, the majority of people were either fishers, farmers, or they were slaves. Not not in the sense of what our country had uh, a couple hundred years ago. They were more like um, house servants or farmhands. And most of the time, they weren't abused, but occasionally. Uh, so second reason why Paul uses slaves is that... Uh, the, the second thing I want to make sure I mention about this uh, word slaves here is that the Bible neither condemns nor condones slavery. Uh, it, it, what it does condemn, though, is the harsh treatment of people, regardless of their title or position in life. In fact, it even urges in Ephesians 6, verse 9, that slave owners, business owners, and other authority figures uh, in this demographic uh, treat those underneath them, their subordinates, fairly and justly and kindly. Uh, so, So the Bible's not for the abuse of people or the abuse of slaves at all. Uh, another thing I want to mention about this is I think Paul calls out slaves on purpose. I think he's doing it because in the previous verses, as we looked at last week, he says, you know, hey, older men should be like this, older women should be doing this, younger women, younger men, so on and so forth. I think he then decides to call out slaves because he doesn't want anybody in the churches on the island of Crete to think that they are somehow exempt from what he's talking about. So, so it's like if he left anybody out, if anybody thought they're not older, if anybody thought they're not a man, not a woman, or if they thought they're not younger, Paul decides to just say, anybody that's got a job, you know, this is what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to pursue godliness. And so uh, next he says, you should be submissive. Now, you might remember from last week that the word submit comes from the Greek word hupotasso. Uh, it means to subject oneself to yield voluntarily, or to come under the protection of someone or something. This is now the third time that Paul has brought up submission in his letter to Titus. And you might remember me mentioning it's in the three chapters of this letter, submission comes up in every chapter, which suggests that this was a sin issue. Insubordination was perhaps an issue for the Cretan Christians. Here's a biblical definition of submission I want to encourage you to write down, and I've mentioned this the previous two weeks. Uh, Submission, I think, is joyfully yielding to God-ordained authority after respectfully disagreeing. It's joyfully yielding to God-ordained authority after respectfully disagreeing. Now, although authority and submission have become... uh, offensive words in our culture today, they are necessary for the order that we enjoy in our society. For example, would you feel safe flying on a commercial airliner in which there was no captain with the final say flying the plane, but there were two pilots, both equal, but they didn't agree on how to fly the plane? Would you feel comfortable with that? Or Better yet, what if there was a captain on your commercial airliner and he did have authority on the plane, but the captain didn't like listening to air traffic control? So air traffic control maybe says to your captain, uh, you're cleared for takeoff on runway one. But the captain says, eh, 
I like one ray three instead. I think I'm going to take that one. You can just imagine the problems that would arise and the dangers that would exist. You see, uh, I, I, just, I share that illustration with you to get you thinking because if you hate submission, it means you have to hate authority. And if you hate authority, it means that you would want a world where everybody gets what they want. Or maybe you would prefer a world in which only you get what you want. <laughs> but that's not possible. And it would create a world even more chaotic than the one we live in today. I've observed over the years that most humans have a double standard when it comes to authority and submission. We are for authority when it protects us, but we resent authority when it prevents us from having what we want. So we like it when, it's, when it helps us, when it protects us, but we don't like it when it's in the way of something that I want. Now, because Paul brings up submission in each of the chapters of Titus, and because it's an often misunderstood topic in our culture, and because we all struggle with it, including myself, I wanted to spend a little extra time on this particular topic, clarifying what God's Word says about submission. And so uh, you'll see on your sermon handout, I've given you a table that says what it is and what it is not. So on the left-hand side, what submission is according to God's Word, and then what it is not, some of the myths about it. And I just want to comment on a few of those. So uh, starting out in the upper left-hand corner, what it is, it's yielding to God through people. Romans 13.1 is a key verse you might want to write down. You can look up later, or it's a cross-reference you can use. In Romans 13.1, Paul says all authorities have been instituted by God. That includes husbands in their homes, pastors and elders in churches, mayors, congressmen, soldiers, generals, and so on and so forth. Thus, unsubmissiveness is sin because it's ultimately rebellion against God. Now, on the right-hand side, what it is not is yielding to people God can't control. That's often our fear, I find, why we maybe don't want to submit, is that we're, we're fearful that it would give control to somebody we don't like, don't respect, or don't trust. But what allows us to joyfully yield, and the reason I put that in the definition for submission, is that when it seems like an authority is out of control, the scriptures actually say God is still in control. Proverbs 21.1 is a good reference to write down on this topic, on this particular issue. It says that the Lord is able to steer the king's heart like a stream of water, meaning that no authority in our lives or your place of work or anywhere like that can do anything without it passing through God's sovereign hand. Next, uh, submission is, on the left-hand column, it's surrendering my preferences. I have found that most issues with submission are more about your preference versus the authority's preference. They are not usually about right or wrong. But when we elevate preferences to the same level as Scripture, our preferences will begin to feel like right or wrong to us. And that's why you've heard me say before in other messages, it's very important to learn God's Word so that you can distinguish between your preferences and truth. Because opinions change, but God's Word doesn't. God's Word is the ultimate authority in the believer's life. So, submission what it is not... It's not surrendering biblical convictions. The Lord draws a line there. He, he doesn't expect us to submit if we have to sin to do it. So if the authority is asking you to sin, there's an exemption clause, basically. And since God's word is the ultimate authority on right and wrong, if what we're asked to do by an authority contradicts God's word, then we don't have to yield. But again, as I said earlier, I have found that's rarely the case, although that could be changing in our country. So, left-hand side, submission is God protecting you from yourself. The Lord says that a world in which you get everything you want, 
would be hell, basically. But one of the things that makes heaven heaven is that it's the place where God gets everything he wants, finally, from us. Submission is not, on the right-hand side, God withholding blessings. It's the Lord blessing you and I with protection from the chaos of everybody trying to get what they want. Submission is God's way of maintaining order. But it is not a value statement. One of the lies that the adversary likes to spread in our culture, into, I think in, in order to incite rebellion, is that uh, he'll try to get us to think that submitting to authority makes us less important than the authority. But that's not how God sees it at all. This offends our sin nature, and it makes us want to rebel against authority. However, in God's eyes, we are all equal. We are all image bearers made by him. He just has given different roles to different people. Finally, submission is publicly supporting leadership, but it is not complaining or arguing when you don't get your way. For example, blowing up on your husband or boss because you disagree with him is not respectfully disagreeing. It's manipulation. It's using your emotions to try and force them to see things your way. And agreeing with an authority to their face, but then going and complaining behind their back is not submission either. The world calls that passive aggressiveness. But God's word calls it being crafty or scheming because it's portraying one thing to the authority of, oh yeah, we're good, we're good, and then going behind the authority's back and saying, oh no, I think he's an idiot, I don't agree with anything that he said, or I, I think it's a stupid decision to make that change in the company, and I wouldn't do it. You're sowing divisiveness, according to Proverbs. Uh, if you would, keep your finger in Titus chapter 2, and turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2, uh, I'm going to look at uh, verses 13 and 19 with you. This is another key passage on submission that um, has some insights for us that I think will be very helpful. And I wanted to show it to you. Instead of just putting it up on the screen uh, and reading it, I wanted to actually have you turn there so you can see it and mark it and maybe go back to it later. First uh, Peter chapter 2. First uh, Peter contains some convicting but also encouraging insights about submission that apply to marriage, parenting, so for kids to parents, the marketplace, civil government, uh, students in school. What Peter says here in 1 Peter 2, 13 and 19 is significant because it's widely accepted today that he wrote this letter shortly before or after the Roman emperor Nero launched his brutal persecution campaign against Christians. That was about 64 AD. Let me just tell you a couple things about Nero, because you need to understand this to understand what Peter's saying, the significance of it. Nero was one of the most tyrannical, violent, psycho bad dudes that ruled Rome. Uh, he is known for having killed his own mother during his reign, then divorced his wife, and when he had problems divorcing his wife, he had her killed. And then later on, Nero had set a major fire in Rome, burned up a good chunk of the city. Why? Well, because he needed to build a new palace. And you know, if you're a psychopath, tyrannical ruler, you see land in the city that belongs to your citizens, but you want that land instead. Well, you just set fire to it and make them homeless. And that's what he did. Oh, but it gets better. Nero then blamed the fire on Christians. He made thousands of his citizens homeless and then said the Christians did it, which then furthered the persecution against the Christians. So... During his rule, he also had some believers sewn inside the skins of wild animals and then turned wild dogs loose on them. He also had Christians tied to poles and then set on fire to provide light for his evening parties at his palace. So Nero, who is the 
ruler of the Roman Empire, the biggest empire in the world at this time, in A.D. 64, is who Peter is referring to in the verses we're going to read. Please follow along with me. He says, Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. Here's four additional truths about submission I want to share with you, four principles. Uh, letter A on your outline is this, uh, from 1 Peter 2, our submissiveness reveals what we believe about the sovereignty of God. Our submissiveness reveals what we believe about the sovereignty of God. Peter is clearly affirming what Paul taught, and that is that earthly authorities have been established by our Heavenly Father. And since God's character only allows him to use his sovereignty to ordain what is good for us, the key question to ask yourself when you're struggling under an authority is, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this person? So if it's a coach you can't stand, or a boss, or a manager, department supervisor, a business owner, uh, maybe it's a police officer, or something like that that pulled you over, Lord, what are you trying to teach me? Because God is sovereign, he has put that authority in your life and my life for a purpose. Here's letter B. The next principle we can glean from 1 Peter 2. Complaining about an authority is not submissive. Complaining about an authority is not submissive. In verse 17, Peter says, Honor everyone, including the emperor. Well, he's talking about Nero, the most, one of the most wicked dudes that ever served over Rome and, and led the Roman Empire. Now, I am by no means an expert in the scriptures. I'm a lifelong student, still learning, just like all of you are. But in my 20 years of teaching God's word, I have yet to find any verse that criticizes or calls for the overthrow of a government, an authority, or a business owner. I can't find any yet. Now, this is why... I, I, I've been appalled by some of the vicious rhetoric that I've seen Christians put out on the internet uh, about our new president this year. It, I didn't vote for the guy personally. I don't care whether you did or not, but here's the thing I've noticed, and it's very concerning to me about many Christians that are on social media, is they're spending so much time complaining about what's going on in Washington, D.C., and criticizing and commentating on what the networks are reporting and so on and so forth, I can't help but wonder whether there'd be a revival that would take place in our nation if all that negative rhetoric was replaced with stuff about Jesus and talking about Jesus and talking about, I love Jesus, and he is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and it's so awesome that he's going to rule someday. If we would point people to Jesus... And if other believers, and excuse me, unbelievers would see Christians talking about Jesus on social media instead of what's wrong with the White House or why it's unfair to criticize the president or why don't you like the president or he is my president or not my president, I just, I'm so sick of it. I, I, I'm going, where's the talk about Jesus at? How come we're not filling up the news feeds with stuff about the Lord and how great he is and how wonderful he's going to be when he sets up his kingdom on earth and rules for eternity. So complaining about authority is not submissive. It's certainly okay to respectfully share your political views, I think, but it should be done wisely and carefully. 
so as to not dishonor the position, as Peter says here. Letter C, uh, our perceived weaknesses of a leader do not excuse us from submitting. Notice in verse 18, Peter says, Masters, or slaves, excuse me, submit to your masters, not only the just ones, the godly ones, but the unjust ones. The Greek word that Peter uses here is skoliois. skoliois. It's the same word we, we get scoliosis from. But it's mind-blowing because he's saying you can't decide whether to submit based on the morality of the authority. Whoa. You can't decide based on whether you like the authority or not. Submit to the just ones and the unjust ones. Holy Spirit really, really uh, dropped an anvil on my head a few years ago when I was serving under a senior pastor that I, I honestly, I didn't respect him. Partly because I felt he had some significant character issues and partly because he and I just had philosophical differences about how to do ministry. And so I remember distinctly one morning driving to the office and I was meditating on 1 Peter 2.18. And the spirit, uh, it was just one of those, this doesn't happen often, but it's just one of those rare times that I will never forget where, and perhaps you've had this too, where you just know, okay, that was God talking to me right there. And that was really scary. And man, I'm glad that doesn't happen every day. It was one of those days. Um, So the Spirit whispered to me as I'm driving to the office, to the church office in the morning, and I'm praying over 1 Peter 2.18. And I'm asking the Lord, please help me to submit. Help me to be respectful. Because I'm struggling at this church. And so the Lord, the Spirit says, Carrie. Peter told these slaves to submit to masters that were crooked and beat them. Are you being beaten? No. Okay. Has your senior pastor been unjust towards you? No. Is your family being taken care of? Yeah. Then surrender your preferences. Because your pastor's lack of perfection doesn't excuse you from submitting to him. And so what the Spirit taught me that day is that I was expecting him to be perfect, and since he wasn't perfect, I was going, I don't want to submit to him because I don't like him and he's not perfect. (laughs) But it gets even better. Wait. Did you know that every leader or person in authority has faults? (laughs) That none of them are perfect? Did you know that? It just hit me that day in the car. You know, I'm driving. For some reason, I just realized they all have faults. Oh, oh, did you know this too? I learned this that day. That was such a, that was such a I'm still processing that day, as you can see. Um, did you know that we all struggle to submit to Jesus' authority and he is perfect? So if perfection or imperfection isn't really the issue, then what is the issue? Well, I think having a boss, coach, teacher, husband, parent, president, etc. with flaws isn't the problem. The problem is our sin nature, which makes us want to rebel against authority and makes us want to be autonomous any way possible. So when the Spirit reminded me, Carrie, you have a hard time submitting to Jesus, and he was, he's perfect. So stop thinking that if you had a perfect boss, you somehow would submit to him. That's not the issue. The issue is your heart. It's your heart, Carrie. So the perceived weaknesses, letter C, the perceived weaknesses of the leader do not excuse us from submitting. Letter D, uh, the last thing that Peter tells us about submission is that the Lord sees when we submit and suffer under abuse of authority. He sees it. He notes it. Peter provides some pastoral encouragement for these believers who, uh, many scholars believe they were, uh, Peter was writing to believers that were in Asia Minor, which is now northern Turkey. And they believe that either Nero had just started his persecution campaign and it was spreading, you know, if, if, uh, 
if Rome's in the west, that it was spreading east across the Roman Empire, that it was coming. So it was almost just God prophetically speaking through Peter to get the believers ready in Turkey, because like Nero's campaign's coming, and he's going to start burning Christians in your community and start sewing them up in animal skins and having them attacked by dogs. Just get ready to submit. And so Peter provides this pastoral encouragement. He says, basically, if you suffer unjustly, God sees it. He'll reward you, and he will avenge the injustice in his time. And he'll also give you the grace to get through it. Now, 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 be careful here. Please don't miss what I was saying earlier. Suffering unjustly is actually suffering. It's not failing to get what you want. That's not suffering. You, you just didn't get what you wanted. Now, turn back with me, if you would, to Titus chapter 2. And the next critical issue... I'm sorry, uh, I'm going to give you the application here for number one. Um, application for number one is this. By faith, submit to God-ordained authority. By faith, submit to God-ordained authority. Your submission to authority says more about you and what you believe than it does the authority you are serving under. I'm going to say that again. I want you to get that. Your submission to authority says more about you and what you believe than it does the authority you are serving under. But when, by God's enabling spirit, you are able to respectfully submit to authority... It proves that you believe in God's word, that you believe what it says about his sovereignty and what it says about authority. Can you ask questions? Absolutely. Can you raise concerns with authority? Absolutely. The word is fine. God's fine with that. Can you offer suggestions to your boss or business owner? Sure. But be prepared to turn those questions, concerns, and suggestions over to the Lord if they are Dismissed or not received. Now let's look back at Titus 2. The second critical issue that Paul mentions for employees is your work ethic. Your work ethic. He says in verse 9, uh, employees should be well-pleasing. It could be rendered eager to please. It doesn't mean we should be people-pleasers. It means we should be eager to serve, be helpful, and be a blessing to our boss, because you have the humility that Christ had. Not argumentative, he says in verse 9. Literally, not speaking against or talking back to. Just think, think of like a teenager and a parent. Uh, he, he basically saying, don't, don't talk back to your boss like your child might talk back to you disrespectfully. Don't make snide remarks or sarcastic comments. If you would turn to Colossians 3, I want to show you another passage on this topic of work and employees. Colossians 3, we're going to look at uh, 22 to 24. Colossians 3. Paul gives similar advice to employees in, in the church of Colossae. Uh, but a little more detail with some other nuances. Uh, Colossians 3, verse 22, he says there, Slaves, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward." You are serving the Lord Christ. So notice work heartily. Um, this is exukes. It means in the Greek, literally, out of the soul or from the soul. I think what he's saying is put your heart into it. Care about your work. Don't go through the motions. Why? Well, because you're serving the Lord Christ. So you see how Paul says, you're not, you're not serving some earthly master. 
when you go to work Monday through Friday. No, you're working for the Lord. And that just changes everything now. So your work, the way you earn a living out in the community should be done with passion and excellence just as your service for the Lord here in the church should be done. Because we're working for him. He even mentions in verse 24, the final payday will be in eternity when the Lord rewards those that have served him well. So what's the application? Well, here's the application for number two when it comes to work ethic. Strive to do your work with excellence. Strive to do your work with excellence. You know how sometimes we maybe hurry up to finish a task or a project and maybe we are a little sloppy or don't do our best and so we say, we say well, that, that's good enough. That's just good enough. You, you know, it's time to move on to the next thing. Well, my, my kids have heard me say this before. I have a saying in our home when they're doing their chores and they think somehow just doing a turbo vacuum job is good enough or maybe not scrubbing the sinks all the way is good enough because they need to hurry up and get to their video games. Um, So I have a saying, and that is, good enough is never good enough for Jesus. It's not good enough for Jesus. And, And we're to do everything heartily as working for the Lord Christ. The Heavenly Father gave his best for us, and so the least we can do is, is give our best back to him. And when we do that, we glorify him. The Lord wants your boss to be scouring the streets of our community looking for other Christians because he hired you and saw what you work like. And he wants to, the Lord wants your boss to say, do you have any friends that are looking for work? You should, I'm so glad I hired you and you're such a hard worker, and I'm assuming that all Christians are like this, so I want to get some more Christians hired. That's what the Lord wants your boss to say. So it begs the question, can he say that about you? Let's look at uh, Titus chapter 2 one last time, if you would, and um, here's the final critical issue uh, regarding uh, work that Paul mentions And that is your integrity on and off the job. Your integrity on and off the job. You might have heard me explain this earlier in the series, that the word integrity comes from the Latin word for integer. It means to be whole or to be the same. Perhaps this is why someone once said that integrity is being the same person even when no one's looking. So Paul says in verse 10, not pilfering, meaning don't steal or literally embezzle is what the word means. Uh, This was something that was common with domestic servants back then or slaves or farmhands is that because they worked so closely with the family and they were living usually in the same quarters or nearby the house, they could steal things and maybe sell them to make a little extra money on the side, steal things from their master. Today, it's common to find employees stealing company time by using social media on the clock, showing up late for work or leaving too early, or socializing with coworkers too long. Other examples I've seen would be using the copy machine at the office for personal copies without permission. In verse 10, he says this is why this is important. It's so that you can show good faith Uh, although the ESV translation of this verse could be interpreted a couple different ways here, I think it most likely means so you can be fully trusted uh, or entirely trustworthy as another translation renders it. Your integrity on and off the job matters. Did you know, by the way, that what you post on social media in your personal time also matters? That companies now are doing Google searches before hiring and they're checking your social media feed to see what you post? That's a game changer, isn't it? It'll make you think twice before you hit post. Uh, a few years ago, I stumbled upon a Associated Press story that exemplifies the kind of integrity that we should have on and off the job. The story reads like this. Police Chief Richard Nobel of Kawashkum, Wisconsin, demonstrated 
uncommon integrity by holding himself accountable to the same laws that he swore to uphold. He did so by writing himself a ticket. Nobel said he didn't want to take the easy way out by avoiding the consequences because of his position of authority when he accidentally drove past a stopped school bus with its emergency lights flashing. Nobel wrote himself a $235 ticket, docked himself four points on his driving record, and paid the fine. Most people wouldn't have known what police chief Richard Nobel did until it appeared a few months later in local court records and a newspaper reporter discovered it. No matter the reason for the transgression, Nobel told the truth, he did the right thing, and he held himself accountable when people weren't looking. So be like that guy, right? Don't be like this other guy. I found another story about somebody that you should not be like. It was on a chat room for managers and supervisors, and the, the question, the discussion question was, what's the worst employee you've ever had? Oh, there were some great stories. Here's one I thought you might find interesting. Don't be like this guy. One supervisor posted on this chat room that he had an employee play sick for two weeks. He sent daily emails to the company updating them on his progress and his condition. While at the same time, the employee's band was posting photos on their Facebook page of the road trip they took to South by Southwest it's a music festival in Austin. So he's emailing in every day how he's feeling. And then he's, they're watching him at the company on Facebook. He's at South by Southwest in Austin with his band. Don't be like that guy. Don't do that. Why? Well, Paul reminds us there's something bigger that you're working for than just a paycheck. Verse 10, the key verse for our series do these things that you may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior. You might remember the word adorn comes from the Greek word cosmeo, from which we get the English cosmetics. It's rendered attractive in the NIV and other popular translations, but when interpreted in the context, I think verse 10 is saying, not only does the gospel provide a greater purpose for your work, but your work also says a lot about the gospel. It matters. So application. Your final application for today, because we want to be doers of the word. We want to read the word and go, okay, Lord, what am I supposed to do with this? Live your life like you're always being watched. Because you always are. The Lord's always watching. But also... Somebody else might be. Could be your children, your grandchildren. It could be a coworker. It could be an unbelieving friend that you've been trying to witness to. And they're watching to see does Chuck or John or Mike or Jenny or Michelle have integrity and do what they say they believe all the time, or is it just kind of a front that they put up? There are many blessings that come from having a life of integrity. For example, people that have integrity aren't afraid of being accountable. Did you know that? They're not afraid of accountability and supervision because they have nothing to hide. Another blessing that comes from having integrity is that you get the benefit of the doubt when you need it. There are situations that can come up in the office or at the workplace where it's your word against a coworker's, and you may need your boss to believe you. You'll get that benefit of the doubt if you've banked up, stored up some integrity, some trust deposits. So live your life like you're always being watched. Well, I know there's a, a lot of content here, and this can be difficult uh, to apply, and it's challenging, it's convicting. Uh, so I, I wanted to encourage you with just kind of this closing illustration. When you, when you go back to work tomorrow... I want to encourage you to think of your job like you are Superman or Superwoman, depending on your preference. You see, 
when I was thinking about Superman this week, Clark Kent was not really a reporter for the Daily Planet. He, he is a superhero who uses his job as a reporter to find problems that his true identity can solve. He never forgot who he was, and he realized that he was there at the Daily Planet for a greater purpose. Clark Kent didn't hide his real identity forever. When someone needed help at just the right time, he would open his shirt or his suit and reveal his true identity as Superman. So what does that have to do with you? Well, your work does not define who you are. Jesus does. And if you've trusted in him as your Lord and Savior, you are a child of God that's been redeemed and has a purpose where he's placed you. So instead of thinking, I'm an engineer, or I'm just a teacher, or, I'm just a banker, or, I'm, I'm just a, an executive or law enforcement officer, or, I'm just a farmer, or I just work in the oil fields, you instead should constantly remind yourself, I am a Christ follower who happens to rep represent the Lord where engineers, teachers, nurses, financial planners, executives, and law enforcement officers and farmers work. This allows you to change jobs without losing your identity. And it means that the next time there is a spiritual need at the place where you work, all you need to do, don't rip your shirt open or anything like that, but all you need to do is reveal your true identity as a child of God, a citizen of heaven, an ambassador for the king that puts you there to represent him, filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you do that, revealing your true identity at the right time, you'll have all the superpower you need to be a hero on the job. The way you work, determines the credibility of the gospel. Would you join me as we close in prayer? Heavenly Father, I realize that talking about submission is a, it's a difficult, hot-button issue. Uh, first of all, Lord, because our sin nature hates submission because it, our sin nature wants to rebel against any authority. But also, Lord, I know that this is a sensitive topic, and I, I would much rather not teach on it. I wish I could skip it. But, Lord, it's a sensitive topic because there are some here today that have been hurt by authorities. Father, would you please bring healing into their life? Lord, would you redeem the scars that they bear on their heart? Would you help them to see what you saw when that happened? And would you help them, Lord, to wisely and biblically discern the difference between their emotions and the sinner that hurt them versus what your word says and the truth about submission and authority. Lord, there are others that are here that are working difficult jobs and they have difficult bosses. Father, would you please encourage them and open their eyes and help them to see what you see is happening where they work. Would you give them favor with their boss, their supervisor? Would you use them to bring their boss and supervisor to faith in Christ? Would you give them wisdom on how to raise concerns and issues graciously and respectfully? And Lord, would you help them to see how you're using that authority to make them more like Christ? Lord, I want to pray for those that are out of work, too. Some are here today or maybe listening online that feel like they can't apply this because they don't have a job right now. Lord, please, would you lead them? Would you guide them? Would you open doors? 
They want to work. They want to provide for their families. Would you bless them with the right fit for their gifts and talents? Would you put them in a place where they can be a light for Jesus and spread the gospel? Lord, this issue of submission and authority is significant as well when it comes to our government. Depending on who you talk to or who's in office or which office we're talking about, a problem will come up where either uh, somebody likes a congressman but another person doesn't, or maybe nobody likes that president. Father, please, would you sovereignly work for good in our community, in our state, and in our nation through the authorities that you have allowed or caused to be raised up. Lord, we know and we're encouraged by the fact that you were able to release the people of Israel from Babylon after Persia conquered Babylon. You used a Persian pagan king to release the people of Israel so they could go back home after their exile. And so, Lord, if you can do that, like you moved in the hearts, uh, the heart of Pharaoh in Exodus to release the people from their slavery in Exodus, and then, Lord, you can do good in our country through an unbelieving president and members of Congress that aren't saved. And so we ask you for that, Lord, please. And as we talk in the community, Lord, as we post on social media, would you use your spirit to bring to our minds positive things about the gospel and about you that we can get out there as opposed to negative complaints? We know, Lord, from your word that complaining and criticizing doesn't win anybody to faith in Christ. It doesn't make Jesus more attractive. So help us, Lord, to paint a picture of your church and of your son and the gospel message that is attractive and winsome. Help us to do that, Lord. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Again, we hope you've enjoyed listening to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast by Pastor Kerry Knack. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, please visit our website at www.vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope to see you at Vanguard Bible Church.